You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Happy Mother's Day. I realise, well, there's some wonderful mothers among us, and we want to acknowledge that equally. I realise it's an incredibly difficult and painful day for a number of people. There'll be people who, it is a reminder of loss, it is a reminder of not being able to have. There is often a strange relationship between mothers and daughters, and it can be a painful reminder of that, and we stand with you. And um, I believe there's a bunch of daffodils for every female who is here as you leave. Feel free to take a few more. There's extras take them for friends families neighbors as a as a sign and a symbol of the love of god and the hope that he brings and um yeah i i I just wanted to honor you as women in the church that you play an incredible part and we highly value you whether you're a daughter a mother a grandma whatever part that is and just as a token and a sign and a symbol of that please feel free to take some daffodils but um let let me just pray father god i thank you for the the women in this church and whether today is a a day of celebration or today is a day of painful reflection lord i pray for the presence of god i pray for the comfort that comes through the holy spirit and relationship with you and would that be what we know would that be embedded upon them afresh the goodness of God and the stillness and the quietness that you bring to our souls. But Lord, today we honour that part of our family and we say thank you. Amen. Do you know, I recently discovered that at least one in every six people in the world, apparently, has seen at least one of the James Bond films. Um, I'm therefore taking a semi-educated guess that I think many of you will have seen at least one. So, James Bond, 007, the British fictional Secret Service agent. I came out of the cinema having seen Skyfall, and I was amazed that somehow in my mind I thought I was some kind of secret agent, and also amazed that I wasn't alone in that understanding. By the time I'd walked from the cinema to the car park, I noticed I wasn't the only one who was momentarily hiding behind things, <laughs> ducking and jumping out on people. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's fascinating watching people who have been influenced by watching something like that. I've often considered, though, what it would be to be a secret agent or to protect somebody like the Queen or the President of the United States. I've often watched YouTube clips on it, which I think in this day and age might be worrying, and somebody might even be tracking just how often I do it. But I know that might sound a bit geeky, but there are a few fascinating facts that I've discovered. The security, let's not talk about the president, but the security surrounding the president is really quite amazing. For those of you that don't know, his car is nicknamed the Beast. The car that thinks it is a tank is what they call it. I think we've got a quick photo, hopefully, 
that will come up of it. There it is. Uh, the fuel tank is armoured plated. It's fitted with foam that stops it exploding. The boot has an oxygen supply of its own and a firefighting system. The doors are armoured plated and the same thickness as an aircraft. The tyres will work even if they run flat. The chassis is reinforced to withstand bombs and grenades. The bodywork is military grade. It's five inches thick, has a combination of dual hardness steel and aluminium titanic, titanium and ceramic to break up potential projectiles that might be coming its way. The windows can withstand armoured piercing bullets and a .44 magnum. It's equipped with night vision cameras, pump action shotguns, even bottles of the president's blood in case he needs an emergency transfusion. I think there's another, the second photo if we can. I could go on and on and on and on and on about it, but I think you can see that this car is built to defend and protect the president against attacks. There's one more quick detail that I'm not going to share too much on because you could find it quite alarming, but you can YouTube it if you're that way inclined. The SUV, the suburban vehicle that drives behind the president, has an automatic gun that comes up out of the roof on a turret capable of firing 1,700 rounds per minute. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, clearly shows someone like the president faces a very real threat of being attacked. History would show us that, and also information that is gathered by the intelligence agencies. The president has a high level of protection because he faces a high degree of threat. This morning, it may come as no surprise that I want us to consider our level of protection, our armour, the armour that God readily makes available to us to protect ourselves. When we read the passage, I'm sure you'll agree with me, that we face a high level of threat ourselves. After all, we live in a spiritual battle and we need to be people that prepare for it. We've been doing a series on the book of Ephesians. I'm rounding it off today looking at the final chapter and I've called it Keep On. This whole series has been keep on keeping on, keep on keeping on in your faith. And today, particularly even when you come under attack, the part of the passage, I'm not going to read it all today, but the part of the passage I'd love to hone in on is the bit around the armour of God. So if, if you do have your Bible, it's in Ephesians 6. Let me just read it to us, starting in verse 10. It says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armour, so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes... Put on the peace that comes from good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on all occasions. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere.
I just want to look briefly this morning at each piece of the armor and consider why we might need it for protection and how it could bring us that if we use it effectively. I think the passage is really clear. We need this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. I think it's important we realize this. The the guy who started the vineyard group of churches put it quite aptly. He said this, the moment we transfer our citizenship from the kingdom transfer out our citizenship to the kingdom of God through faith in Christ Jesus, we come into immediate conflict with everything that the world stands for. We're thrust into a battle in which there's no neutral ground. Satan wants us back. There's nothing too rotten or too low that he won't do in order to defeat us. He wars on our bodies, our minds, and our emotions, but Jesus doesn't send us into that battle ill-equipped. You know, beneath surface appearances, there is an unseen spiritual battle that is raging. The devil's aim is to keep us from a relationship with God, to damage it and to damage us. Paul, when he's writing this passage, he seems to presume that we are aware of that, that we understand that as a reality. His purpose isn't to satisfy our curiosity, but to warn us of the existence of the forces of evil and to teach us then how best to overcome them. The passage is saying, we are up against evil. Not humans, but a more powerful enemy, hence the full armor is needed. John Stott refers to this part of the passage. He says, this is a stirring call to battle. He says, do you hear the bugle and the trumpet? There's a call to arms and a call to ready ourselves for battle. Now, maybe some of you are thinking... (laughs) We've gone big straight away here. Really? Is there really a battle? What's the fuss about? You know, as followers of Jesus, I would say we daily face battles, and this passage is a sober and quite a realistic assessment of the battle we face and the weapons that are at our disposal. All of that said, I think we need to be really careful not to become obsessed with spiritual warfare. We need to take it seriously, but I think it's important not to over um, or to super spiritualize these things. But equally, to not be aware is incredibly dangerous. So verse 13, it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand because we're in a fight, because the enemy is seeking to attack us, we need to put on the full armor of God. God gives us insight as to how we can protect ourselves and equip ourselves. I love it how sometimes the Bible spells something out and just in case you missed it, it says it again. And then just in case you're tempted to skim over it, it says it again. You know, the the phrase for me, stand firm, jumps out of this passage. You need to put on the armor of God, so that you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to still be standing. And in case you missed it, it goes on, verse 14, stand firm. You know, the message, I think, is really quite clear. 
suit up, stand up, stand your ground. The Bible provides specific instructions as to how to fight this war, and it describes six pieces of equipment as analogies for battle. I think there's a photo free, hopefully. Paul, who wrote Ephesians, he um, used the weapons of a Roman soldier to help us understand what he's saying. And pictures, I find really helpful, but of course they still have limitations. But Paul's in prison when he's writing to the Ephesians. He's surrounded by soldiers during the time of Roman imprison, uh, that he was in the Roman imprisonment. He's under house arrest. And in, in the daytime, he's free to move around the house under supervision of soldiers. But every night, he's chained to a soldier to make sure he can't escape prior to his trial that was coming up before Caesar. And so we know from um, Roman armory and weapons and from pictures and statues and finds by archaeologists exactly what they had. But Paul knew, because he's living it out as a day-to-day reality, he's seen the weapons. He's living in those times and living through it. So Paul and the people he was writing to were were as familiar with a Roman soldier as we are today with something like a mobile phone. It was just an everyday part of his life. They would have known what it meant and they would have known exactly what he was saying. And so he's used imagery. He's used stuff that was really familiar to those that he was communicating to. Roman soldiers had it tough. They were expected to march around 20 miles a day wearing their full armour, plus carrying food and tents and everything else that went with them. That's neglecting to mention that they were regularly engaged in battle. The Roman Empire was an empire that grew very quickly, partly because they had a very large and skillful army. And so a soldier's life was tough. They had to be armed and trained and ready for dangerous battle. As followers of Jesus, it's no different. We have a lot to do. We're also regularly engaged in battle, a spiritual battle. Again, so often in the vineyard we refer to ourselves as a family, as an army, as a body, but as an army. This isn't an army that wages war in the physical, hopefully, but instead we're like like a peace corps, an army that seeks to educate, to build, to heal, to see freedom and peace and transformation in the lives of those we interact with. And our weapons are the power of God to heal and to cast out demons, the the good news to seek and see the lost come to know and the hearts of compassion that feed and care for the poor. In doing this, we claim back the territory that the enemy has unlawfully occupied. So let's, let's just take a closer look at the armor that is available to us. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. A belt, I am sure you will agree, is an incredibly important piece of equipment. I've still got memories of high school when I forgot mine, and I'll spare you, I won't share with you, but I'll spare you the details of one of those learning experiences where you don't want to make that mistake. Again, a belt holds everything together, but for, for a Roman soldier, it was more than we might think of it today. It gathered together the tunic. It pulled it all together. It allowed them to move more easily and freely. It prevented them from tripping up. The belt not only held the um, soldier's armor in place, but when they marched together, 
the belts made this jangling noise that scared the enemy as they were all coming towards them. It was tied in several places to stay in place so that no matter how a soldier moved about, whether they fell down, they climbed hills, whatever they were doing, the belt was always in place. The belt of truth, putting on God's truth, means living out his word, being honest and sincere in our faith. The belt of truth refers to Christian character and integrity, a lifestyle that conforms to scripture. You know, the the devil tries to sow lies to us, half-truths. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies in John chapter 8. And living in truth disables the schemes and the lies of the enemy. So whatever those lies might be, whether that's thinking that God isn't interested in our lives or that we've strayed too far from him, thinking that maybe he could never forgive us or thinking that we're not good enough, Knowing God's truth allows us to counter their li- those lies. So when we're tempted to waver or go off course, knowing the truth allows us to make wise decisions. The belt is an item of clothing that bound together all of the other parts of the armour. Truth binds together the rest of the armour. The second piece of truth is the breastplate of righteousness. I don't know if you've ever been paintballing, running around a field with people shooting paint at you is is actually really fun. But um, if you ever go on a special occasion like a birthday or a stag do or whatever that occasion might be, can I just say, if that special occasion in any way relates to you, don't do it. Do not go. And um, the last time I went, I made the mistake of doing that. It was my birthday and as a special privilege I got somehow to be the target of nearly every paintball that was fired. And on that day, I came to understand that if you're under attack, you need some form of body armor rather than this little thin T-shirt thing they give you. But for a Roman soldier, a breastplate was a major piece of armor. It covered the vital organs. It was a flexible piece of armor made of metal strips held together with metal ties. And... They were so heavy that somebody else had to help them put them on. It was attached to the belt through various loops and the belt had to be, um, had to be, the belt had to be on first to attach it to it. Righteousness is being right, being perfect. In this case, the example we're using is being without sin. The only way we can do that is through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent his son to die for us. God loves us and approves of us because we're made righteous through Jesus. Righteousness is a condition of the heart, and the heart is what then determines the course of our lives. God's righteousness is the body armour that protects our hearts and ensures his approval. The devil, wouldn't you say, often attacks our hearts, the very seat of our emotions, our self-worth, our trust. We put on the breastplate of righteousness when we put our faith in Jesus. Wearing righteousness isn't just a one-time-I've-done-it event. It's a lifetime of action and application, seeking the ways of God. What does it look like to live right in God's eyes? For us today in our 
actions, in our attitudes, in our behavior, if they're going off course, how do we pull them back to what God would want us to do? The third piece of armor, verse 15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I've come to realize, looking at the views of historians, that the footwear of the Roman soldiers was actually considered one of the key factors that meant their army was so victorious in battle. Their footwear, footwear was far superior to any other at that time. They had spikes embedded on the soles of their shoes, ensuring no matter what terrain they were on, whether a hill or muddy, uneven ground, they could hold firmly their position. They could move, they could turn quickly and easily. Feet fitted with a readiness from the gospel of peace means being ready at any point, at any time, to share the gospel, knowing how to share Jesus, being open to the Holy Spirit prompt, prompting in any situation. This isn't just a, like a decent pair of trainers, like having, you see those kids with heelys, there's a few who have got them here, where you're like, do they have them in a size 11? I'm like, that's, they are great things. Um, but anyway, I was, I was in the supermarket a few weeks ago, and I'm chatting with this lady at the checkout. She's scanning my shopping, and she was so friendly, asking me all sorts of questions. I was only buying a few things, and the conversation was over in a flash. And as I walked away, I was stunned how many opportunities she'd given me to share something of Jesus. It was really quite remarkable. But I just wasn't prepared for it. I didn't have it. I didn't have it on the tip of my tongue. I didn't have access to, to the words. And I, I just couldn't respond in a meaningful way. And I felt really challenged by it. I, I love to share my faith. But on this occasion, my feet weren't fitted with a readiness to do it. And um, I was challenged. I think it's worth thinking about. I've recently tried to sharpen up. How do I share just in a few moments? How do I share in a word or two something of the hope and the truth of Jesus, regularly thinking through phrases and words that express my love of God and a reason for the hope which I have in a way that they can understand. The, um, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, I recently heard him said, he said that everybody should know how to lead somebody to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Everybody should know how to lead somebody to Jesus. Are we ready? Words on the tip of our tongue. I often carry a white Jesus or whatever it might be. I'm like, I want to seize the moment of the conversation. Of course, in a, in a natural way, not forcing it on people, but like with this lady, she wanted a conversation about something that I could have uh, taken to another level. The fourth piece of armor, verse 16. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Before we look at the shield, I just want to look at the flaming arrow, the fiery arrow. When Paul mentions the, the arrows in this passage, he's talking about an arrow that is made from a hollow reed, something like bamboo, and one end had a bung in it, and the reed is then filled with a flammable liquid, a loosely fitting stopper holding a wick that was um, slipped into the other end of the tube, and then it's lit. It's then shot directly at another soldier. Since the missile had its own fuel source and the wick was protected by the tube, the missile kept burning until it hit something. When it hits a soldier, the wick pops out, the liquid 
spills all over the soldier's armor and he is ignited, literally cooking the soldier in his own armor. You probably didn't come this morning expecting a history lesson in Roman armory, but isn't it fascinating? I wonder what that arrow might be for us, the deadly missile that is seeking to take you down. Maybe a mischievous accusation of the enemy, just a whisper, a seed of a lie. The false guilt, unwanted thoughts of doubt or lust or fear. Whatever the arrow is specifically for you, there's hope because faith becomes a shield in times of temptation. Faith holds on to the promises of God no matter what the fear or the weight of the depression that can come. You know, you may have seen in the films the Romans had these huge shields, but they also had small circular ones for close-up battle. But the one that's mentioned here is the larger rectangular one. I wanted to show you all of this equipment. I'm like, you've got to see it to get it sometimes. Um, and as I started looking for some of it on eBay, I suddenly realized searching for a sword was quite a complicated thing to do and could get me in trouble. So I've not done it, but I wanted you just to understand the size of this shield. So little tape measure, because you've got to see it. It is okay. It's, it's about 80 centimeters wide. So it's going to cover me completely. And it's about 120 in length, which is about there. So it's got a pretty good covering of your whole body. It protected a soldier, they would say, an average soldier, roughly from the chin to the knees. So your whole main part of your body is completely covered. A shield was the first line of defense in the armor. While the rest of the armor helps protect us from Satan's onslaught, it's not what you use to absorb every hit, but the shield is. So when the soldier went on the offensive, they would often find a barrage of those flaming arrows coming at them. And groups of soldiers became very skilled at defending themselves together. They would often use them close together as a close-knit um, group of shields over their heads, making this huge circle to protect them from the fiery arrows. The shield of faith is an incredible way to protect yourself, but also to protect others. It's not just for you, it's for the benefit of others. Standing strong together. I think there's two photos here, hopefully, that will show that. There's the first one and the second one, where you can move forward, protecting others with that shield. Faith in the, in the book of Hebrews, as we've mentioned many times over the last few weeks, is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. A hope in God, a trust in God, that no matter what comes at you, your faith is able to extinguish it. A shield against the attack is faith. A belief that in God and a belief in his ability to protect us. The Romans didn't just use their shield for defense. They were able to march forward, as we see in that photo, in attack. I see the shield of faith. For me, it's like Beecham's all in one. Okay, it's like that, you know, the cough mixture. If I get the slightest sniff or even hint of a cold, out comes my Beecham's all in one and I have a cheeky swig from the bottle um, just to kind of ward off that, that illness. Now, medically, I know you're probably not supposed to do that, 
and my illustration falls very flat in comparison to the shield. But do you see what I'm saying? I take a swig of the Beecham's all-in-one before the illness even comes near me. It's the same with the shield of faith. You don't wait till you fully need it. You pull it out whenever an arrow is in flight towards you. You get the shield up, you get in place, and you get ready so that the arrows don't even come near to penetrating you. You can increase the shield of faith. You can build up your level of protection. You can invest in it. Romans 10 says, faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Jesus. As we read our Bible, the God of the Bible gives us and increases our faith. He strengthens it and we strengthen our shield of protection. The Romans had this unparalleled system of command in, in, in battle. Every soldier knew their job. The armour was designed with legions in mind, everyone working together. They knew their job and they knew how to look out for and protect others whilst doing it. I want to encourage us, use our shields together. I think it's an amazing thing. We cheer each other on. We challenge each other. We step out in faith together. These are, these are all things that increase that strength and increase the effectiveness of the shield. If, if you have a word of encouragement for somebody, share it. Wouldn't that be a phenomenal thing among the community that you almost it's just second nature? We're speaking out truth and encouragement over each other. The fifth piece of armour, verse 17, the helmet of salvation. You know, over many years I've gone to uh, Soul Survivor. For those of you who don't know, there's a week or so in the summer, a Christian festival, about 10,000 odd young people go each week. And sleeping there is basically near on impossible. Even at two or three in the morning, as good as I'm sure it is, it's actually quite irritating. Somebody would still loudly be playing the guitar. And you're like, really? Um, I've developed a technique for overcoming it. I have an eye mask, ear defenders, you know, like the big ones, but then also earplugs inside that. It's like a double layer of, of protection. And um, when I'm in my tent and the sun comes up in the morning, I don't know if you've had that, the sun comes up and you've got to evacuate the tent just like that. Well, I've found my defense even to that is the eye mask. You, just, you can live in your own universe for a few more minutes. So I developed this technique to protect myself from those surroundings. I want to say that the helmet is an incredibly important piece of equipment to protect us from the environment. The helmet protects the head. It is the, the seat of your thought life. It protects the mind, where our thoughts are coming from. Satan bombards us, wouldn't you say, with fear and hatred and suspicion and mistrust, false doctrine, all sorts of distractions, temptations come at your mind. Historians tell us that the Romans had the best helmet of the ancient world. I think hopefully there's another photo of that. But many other nations used helmets of um, clothing, wrappings in animal hide or even bones or hooves. You know, I, I think... Um, well, obviously, mopeds and quad bikes, stuff like that, they weren't invented in those days. But I think the fair equivalent would be like a, um, a chariot. If you were a young lad and on a Sunday afternoon you were about to go out chariot racing, which I'm sure they did that kind of thing, my mum would have been saying to me, you're wearing the Roman helmet. It's like the helmet of helmets. This is the one. It is far superior 
to anything else on offer at that time. They've got a chin strap, they've got a visor, the helmet came down to cover the back and the sides of the neck. It's all surrounding, protecting the ears. There was a part that came down, protected the nose and at times even the eyes. Salvation can be described as the ongoing process of our lives being changed. A huge battlefield for us is our minds. How we need the helmet. Wouldn't you say, think of some of the challenges and difficulties you've faced. Often it is the mind. Hey, you know, have you ever thought, I must not think that thought, and then you're like, oh, I've just thought that thought. We need the protection that the helmet brings. In Romans, Paul encourages us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The hope of salvation can protect our thoughts from the enemy's assaults and attacks to disobey God. We need to put on the helmet of salvation to protect our minds and cultivate the mind for God. Not just protect it, but cultivate what we want it to be. The sixth piece of armour, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is an item that can clearly be used for defence and attack. You know, the Romans had many different types of swords, but the one that Paul mentions here is the short sword. This one was used when you were expecting to have close, personal, um, very near-in attacks coming. The sword was a double-edged sword. It was hugely advantageous. And not only did the, the soldier didn't have to turn their sword to inflict damage, it was double-edged. It could inflict damage to the enemy and it could do so in multiple directions. It was seen as an incredibly deadly and powerful weapon. The sword is the picture of the word of God, the Bible. How often do we use our sword? How often do we sharpen our sword? Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I've become so aware that it is my responsibility to take up my armor, to, to learn to use how to use it effectively and confidently. But this one weapon, the sword, was one of those that I used to find most challenging. How would I best equip myself? How do I go about this? How do I not make it a ritual or just a methodical um, religious act? How do I best fall more in love with Jesus and have a hunger for him and a passion for him to seek to delve in consistently and authentically to the Bible? You know, for me over the last year or so, that's meant doing a number of things at different times. I've desperately committed to removing any distraction that starts to creep in. You know, I, I became aware that there's always an email to read. There's always a text to send, a phone call to take, a tweet to respond to, a Facebook message, a WhatsApp message, some new breaking news, a TV program to watch, a conversation to be had. And most of those are distractions before you even get out of bed. You know, do you, do you see what I mean? I think we, unless we align our priorities with the things that we want to be about, there'll always be something else that stands in the way of us devoting our time to the Word of God. I'm told that before battle, a Roman soldier would often train from 6 a.m. until midnight. They would often use a wooden sword in training that was double the weight of the real thing so that they built their strength and when they came to fight the battle it felt easier they were ready they were trained 
and they prepared. I long to do that. Training hard, equipping myself with the word of God, ready not to respond just defensively, but also to go on the attack, being able to quote scripture, to renew my mind, to ward off the lies of the enemy, to know his truth and step out in his promises. Matthew 4 describes when Jesus was in the wilderness. The passage talks about when Satan came at Jesus three times to tempt him. Every time, three times, Jesus answers, it is written. It is written. And then he quotes scripture to counter the arrows of the enemy. It's so helpful. For example, if we're tempted by worry, to quickly be able to bring to mind verses that will fight off the arrows. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Therefore, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Whatever the challenges we might face, the hope would be that it will increasingly become second nature to us to be able to recite and to speak out over ourselves the word of God. I, w- I want to encourage you this morning, sharpen the sword. Use the sword. Delve in to the word of God. And finally, this morning, verse 18 says one more thing. It says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. It's really fascinating, I think, that Paul doesn't try and link prayer to a piece of armor. Prayer could easily be linked to a weapon or a piece of the armor. But I think it would be well described as an exercise. It's a way that we exercise our faith. Prayer is the training ground for an effective warrior. Prayer should flow from the whole of our lives. Paul says pray for all kinds of prayers on all occasions. There's a, there's a real challenge to us in this. Pray through the little things of each day that pop into your mind, almost conversational prayers. Times then of more focused prayers. A friend of mine used to pray through every day their diary, whatever they were doing before they left the house. I Personally, I love to pray out loud. I'd pray in the car out loud, pray, partly because if it's out loud, I don't get distracted or fall asleep, which you hope you wouldn't do in the car, but praying out loud, whatever you need just to help you stay focused I finished this morning by saying this one of my favourite writers C.S. Lewis said this he said enemy occupied territory that's what the world is Christianity is the story of how the rightful King Jesus has landed and you might say landed in disguise and he is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage you know as members of God's army sent to do battle against the kingdom of darkness we should expect conflict because we're always looking to overcome the works of Satan the kingdoms will collide many times God is prevented from doing his work in our lives because we rely on our own might our own wisdom and our own strength but in the passage that we're looking at Today, Paul really carefully and clearly draws us in on how we can equip ourselves with his armor rather than our own. I don't know if you've ever tried to hammer a nail with your shoe, you know, or turn a screw with your fingernail. And most of us will have done it. Or you try and cover yourself from the rain with a newspaper. 
You know, we've all been in those situations where only a hammer, a screwdriver, and an umbrella are really going to do it. God has provided us with all of the implements necessary to stand firm and to live lives of faith and, and be really careful not to substitute the armor of God for our own tools and our own plans. Most of the armor that we've looked at today is defensive, you know, which would indicate, I would say, our need to take the enemy seriously. That said, we're, we're not people that need to live in fear. We just need to wisely equip ourselves for battle with the armor that he's already given us to do it. Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.